It is Thursday, the 3rd of October. I'm your host, Ryan Kia, and this is the Quantum Cast. It's a cold and gloomy morning as the FTSE 100 falls back three and a half odd percent. The FTSE 100 futures had closed yesterday at around 7,100 points per contract, so 71 pounds a contract. That is crazy. A lot of that is to do with this Brexit drama going on. Many would actually argue that it's just a natural correction, as you need those. Many are looking for a retest of £67 a contract on the FTSE 100. Many are calling a recession. Well, there are those people that call a recession all the time with no justification. At the moment, we can look at the economic growth situation, so the GDP And that shows us that the data for the last quarter showed a contraction. So we had negative GDP growth. And by societal norms, if we have another quarter of negative economic growth, then that could mean that we would be in a recession. I mean, a lot of people have been saying it's not going to happen, including uh, analysts. Many analysts have said we are just narrowly going to miss negative GDP growth in uh, the next quarter that will be reported on. Let's take you guys back 119 years ago. That period to now, if you had invested $1 in nominal terms in equity, so just say the S&P 500, you would have had $44,663 per, once again, $1 that you had invested representing an average of 9.4% per year. That is the highest performing asset class out of equities, bonds, bills, and inflation. Equities are doing 9.4% a year on average. That doesn't mean every single year you'll get 9.4%, but if we take into account the drawdowns, meaning the peak to trough movements, you'd get around 9.4% a year. A lot of that is made up through bull market rallies. So the uh, bull market rally after the Great Depression had finished, the bull market rally as of recent, if we're talking post-2008, so 2009 to the current year. Let's, Let's cancel out 2018. Let's just say 2009 to 2017. You had a huge rally in equities, in fact, globally. Let's now have a look at bonds. Bonds are the second highest performing asset class of the four that I had mentioned. If you put $1 at the beginning of 1900, you would have $292. This is in nominal terms, remember. If we look at the average you'd get per year, that would be around 4.9%. With bills, $1 would become $76, so like treasury bills that is, with average annualized growth of 3.7% per year. And the rate of inflation, $1 had gone to $29, so you usually take that off when you're encountering real returns. Inflation averaged 2.9% per year from 1900 to 2018. If we look at returns in terms of real terms, so adjusted for inflation, if you put $1 in equities, you would have 1,521. So not as high as the nominal returns. It seems that inflation had uh, taken a lot of those returns, you wouldn't actually have $44,663 of buying power. Instead, you'd have 1,521. It's still an astronomical return from the initial $1 that you would have invested at the beginning of 1900. 
That 1 to 1521 movement in terms of dollars represents an average of 6.4% growth a year. That's for equities. If we look at bonds, bonds did 1.9% a year on average. That $1 in 1900 became just under $10, 9.9 .9 in 2018. If we look at bills, bills did 0.8% a year. They're a quote unquote safe asset. In terms of real returns, your $1 went to 2.6, but that was 119 years to just over double your investment. It's not that impressive, assuming you use equities as a benchmark. And I bet a lot of people after listening to this section of the podcast would want to invest into equities. Well, here's the problem. Equities have so much more volatility. If we look at drawdowns from 1900 to now, in equity markets, you would have had 69.5% of a loss to deal with at one point. So imagine having your entire life savings in an equities index, and then before you know it, it makes lows and you're down 69.5%. Do you sell out? Does the psychology come into play? Do you panic? Well, risk management controls would restrict you from being in that situation, aka mitigating your losses. Say if you kept your losses to 20% and you'd cut, or use a simple moving average strategy, that's totally fine. But uh, if you were just buying and holding, you would have a lot of risk. Let's look at different types of methods though. If you put your money in a more diverse portfolio, say a 60-40 traditional benchmark portfolio, it's important to note that recent decades have presented severely turbulent times for investors in terms of volatility, as we just mentioned. In the last 20 years alone, investors have experienced two of the largest stock market crashes in history, including the denouement of the dot-com bubble and the financial crisis in 2008. The simplest way we could explain the 60-40 strategy is that it requires an investor to have 60% of their portfolio invested in potentially higher risk, high return on a historical basis, assets such as stocks, and the other 40% invested in lower risk, but also likely lower yielding assets such as government bonds, for example, international treasuries. So we could talk about the US 10 year or the US 30 year, or I don't know, a UK bond. UK bonds don't do that well. So you could use the quote unquote risk-free asset, which are treasury bonds. And the basic principle as to why a 60-40 portfolio exists is due to investors aiming to provide equity-like returns while smoothing out the extreme highs and lows, otherwise known as volatility, that come with an equity-only portfolio. So a basic way to look at the 60-40 investment strategy is you could put 60% of your investment in the SPY, otherwise known as the Standard & Poor's 500 Index, or the S&P 500, and 40% of your investment in IEF, otherwise known as Intermediate Term US Treasuries. It seems that the 60-40 portfolio has actually been quite a difficult obstacle to beat over the last 30-odd years, largely as a result of consistently falling Treasury yields. It's also important to note that the portfolio is rebalanced monthly, so those who are actually looking for a less active strategy, this could be the one for you, who knows? We could look at the performance. If you invested $10,000 in December 1969 using this strategy, then that would have become $923,238 in September 2019. That's a decent rate of return, in fact. If we look at the max drawdown, 
that was minus 29.5%. That was achieved in February 2009, and the longest drawdown had actually lasted for a period of 40 months. And we must note, as I just mentioned, this particular strategy is based on a static portfolio. So it means that it will never signal a change in its optimal allocation. You'll always be stuck at that 60-40 level. This has made the portfolio vulnerable to significant volatility, otherwise known as insecurity of returns. If we want to analyze this strategy further, we can note important areas of focus, including 1974, where there had been severe inflation following the 1973 energy crisis. That led to a depreciation in numerous asset class valuations, specifically in equities, where a drawdown of minus 27.5% had actually been recorded. And 2008 to 2009, most notably, as a result of the financial crisis, where the previously mentioned maximum drawdown of minus 25.5% had occurred. So to summarize, the 60-40 portfolio is relatively risky as it has a sharp ratio of around 0.48 over the period measured. And that basically means that the risk-adjusted returns aren't that high. Usually you'd look for the sharp ratio to be above one. And so the prospect of low risk-adjusted returns from a traditional 60-40 equity slash bonds allocation raises considerable challenges. Perhaps the biggest may be deciding which of the asset allocation strategies is most likely to do better. Is the 60-40 portfolio just there as a benchmark, like the FTSE 100? But is it not just safer to hold that kind of a strategy? And wouldn't it be wonderful to not worry too much about your investments, whether they go up and down? Instead, you could focus on actually enjoying life. Who knows? That would be a, a cool shout, not gonna lie. But we need to make sure that we have a look at Metro Bank. Metro Bank yesterday had its shares trading at around 170 pence per share. Note that they closed at around 233, so that was almost a 45-odd percent movement up from Loth, which is very impressive. Well, why has this happened, you may ask? You'd be very interested to hear. Basically, Metro's shares had crashed from 272 pence per share to lows of around 150 pence because they had failed to raise 300 million pounds in the bond market well, this time they tried again, but at a higher coupon rate. So they went from 7% of a coupon rate to 9.5%. They tried to raise 350 million this time. Well, the outcome was a raise in excess of 550 million. So the only worry is that in the future, Metro Bank's interest repayments may be quite large. These are, as we mentioned, the debt servicing repayments. With Metro Bank, though, this has saved them from the woes of private investors and shorters. If we look at their shares, ever since this has been announced, the shares rallied from 170, spiking at around 238 or so. I tried to get a couple of trades in. I got two out of three, which was all right. And it was an all right day. But uh, as I was not at the desk when I heard this news, I did catch on to the news a little bit later than I would have wanted to. The shares have a decent level of resistance at around 260 pence per share. Uh, I believe they're probably going to open up lower and then uh, that would present a buying opportunity. We've seen the shares open up lower due to shorts closing and that's one thing that people aren't that familiar with. When the shares drop, it doesn't mean that people are selling off. Sometimes it means that the shorts closing 
and they're just trying to readjust the book. Having a brief look at the technicals, we can see that the shares are impending a breakout. They've got a support level at around 214 spot 5. If that hits, it will be a perfect point to buy back in because all areas on short-term timeframes, 5 minute, 30 minute, 1 hour, etc. are trending up. Obviously, except for the 200 simple moving average, which has been trending down. But as soon as the price crosses over, there is significant upside opportunity ahead. If you break above that, which at the moment on the hourly is around 261. If it breaks above there, then there's a lot of upside value. And I can only assume it will do that in due course. There's rumors of takeovers, but we shouldn't take them too seriously. What is important is the fact that Metro mentioned that they're willing to put some of their loan book up for sale. They're huge billion plus loan book. They've got 9 billion worth of risk weighted assets. I mean, this is a mega cheap stock. I don't hold them right now because my strategy doesn't permit me to do so. It seems that uh, the trades had a much higher risk reward in the short term than a position right now. I reckon the first stop will be around 260 pence per share. And once that is done, either it will break out or retest the level at 50 day uh, 50 simple moving average around 200 i don't think that's going to happen i think it'll break out but uh, i'll be ready to trade and to wrap up this extremely detailed episode about bonds bills the 60 40 benchmark portfolio i've been your host ryan kia i hope you all enjoyed it thank you so much for listening please do make sure if you haven't already sign up on our website at quantumresearch.co.uk to access our articles where we go over our detailed analysis and we have a lot of technical analysis on charts such as EasyJet we just analyzed recently, Vodafone as well, and Metro we have charts of two that actually called the upside above 225 to around 260. I believe the shares are going to 260 first stop, but we'll have to see how things go first. Uh, if there's no broker downgrade, there'll probably be a broker upgrade, but we'll have to see. I'll leave it on that note. Until next time.